Welcome to Cybersecurity Insights, the podcast for the CyberEd.io learning community. Our goal is to bring cybersecurity practitioners the latest and most relevant education and training to upskill and dive deeper into topics that matter in today's modern cybersecurity world. Good day, everyone. This is Steve King. I'm the managing director at uh, CyberEd.io, and uh, with us today on our podcast is Martin Resch, is the CEO of Notography. Martin was one of the first entrepreneurs to successfully commercialize open source software and created the global standard for describing and detecting network-based attacks. Um, In 2001, he founded Sourcefire. He was the CEO and CTO there, and they were acquired by Cisco for $2.7 billion, and then he ended up joining Cisco to lead the security business group as, uh, as their chief architect. He's the original author and lead developer of the SNORT Intrusion Detection and prevention system that formed the foundation for the SourceFire product suite. He holds a BS in electrical and computer engineering from Clarkson University, and we're uh, blessed to have him on the show this morning. So welcome, Martin. I'm glad you could join us. Uh, Thanks, Steve. Great to be here. So let's just dive right in here. I've got a bunch of questions about notography and uh, vision and what you guys had in mind. So I, if it's cool with you, we'll start. Uh, tell yeah. us a bit about notography, if you would. And then if you don't mind, if you could go beyond your normal ingestion process that, uh, you know, that we know you collect lots of flow data from network and cloud and OT and IT environments and and then uh, use your detection models to, you know, look for anomalous behavior. But, you know, companies like Darktrace and ExtraHop and several others would tell you the same thing. How are you, how is notography different and, and why do you guys have a competitive edge? So, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, when I came into notography, um, they were presented to me as kind of, you know, these are the guys we think we're going to end up competing with primarily. And, um, you know, it was around the, the NDR space. <clears throat> and as I looked at them from a competitive uh, angle, what I really saw was that uh, they are primarily based on, you know, appliances doing deep packet inspection distributed throughout the enterprise. And they're... Um, very heavily um, invested in providing kind of on-prem capabilities and they don't really think about the cloud, although ExtraHop has added in cloud capabilities uh, over the last uh, year or so. Um, And they don't talk about it and they're not really native to it. And, you know, I I know from having built technology for for the last, you know, 30-ish years or so, um, I know that uh, security technologies, you know, when they're built, they have kind of a core functionality in mind, um, and that is uh, kind of the the eighty percent of what they do. So they didn't start off contemplating, hey, you know, the cloud is going to be a, a core thing for uh, most enterprises someday. Um, they didn't really architect for it, and you ended up with retrofitted architectures. And this happens to everybody. Um, this is kind of the 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 big problem with all established vendors is that. They pick an architecture, they invest in it, they build it out, and then they get into this kind of sunk cost problem where 
uh, evolving beyond the way that they did it before really doesn't uh, uh, achieve, uh, well, it, it, it's very difficult for them to do so. So Notography is built for the world that we're in now. It was built in this world. So the world that we're in now is uh, you know dispersed, ephemeral, encrypted, and diverse. We call these deed environments. And that is really what the, the modern enterprise is, is built around. So dispersed, they're multi-cloud and hybrid cloud, on-prem uh, infrastructure as well. Um, they're ephemeral in the cloud. You have workloads that spin up and down and they need to be protected uh, with the, the same capabilities every time they spin up and down. Um, encryption is uh, used extremely pervasively in many network environments today. And that presents huge problems for deep packet inspection systems. I should know, I pioneered one of them. Uh, and then, um, you know, the, the network environments are diverse, IT, OT, multi-cloud, so forth. So the issue that you have with all those guys, they provide interesting and useful capabilities, um, very similar to the, the stuff that we used to do back in the Snort and Sourcefire days with with additional capabilities around anomaly detection things like that i won't i won't uh, minimize the the things that they bring to the table but providing a capability that is uniform across every deployment environment that uses one language for describing attacks uh, doing eventing one interface for users to interoperate with that are uh, you know heavily context enriched and that don't require you to deploy anything to make it work and this is a key key component because we're a pure SaaS play we don't have hardware or software to deploy you turn on your data sources you point them to us and we tell you you know what you've got what it's doing and what's happening to it do all our anomaly detection uh, capabilities and things like that. So that's not a small difference. That's actually a huge difference uh, from a differentiation standpoint, because the the way that I grew up doing it and the way that we used to do it is the architecture that all of these guys are still on. You have appliances, people have to fly hardware to places. Uh, when it gets there, it has to be racked and stacked and turned on and integrated and things like that. And that requires manpower and you know policy development and integration with management platforms and so on and so forth. Our, our approach requires none of that to provide very similar capabilities in terms of the detection and response uh, features that they have, but then goes beyond that when providing things like, you know, uh, governance or, uh, you know, straight up visibility and mapping across an entire enterprise um, that's not limited by the places that you can put a physical piece of hardware. Yeah, um, that's fantastic. When you, because you're collecting, um, flow data uh, from these environments. Um, how close to real time do you get in terms of your ability to say, hey, there's there, you know, there's an anomaly we've detected here in, you know, environment X and you should do something about it. Uh, very, very close to real time within uh, seconds. Uh, you know, it, it obviously depends on the setup of the environment, but um, Generally speaking, you know, a, a true real-time system is generally going to be in line. Either, you know, we we developed this spec in the, the old days at uh, Sourcefire with intrusion prevention systems, EDR technologies technically are, you know, real-time systems as well because the, the detector is the responder, right? So the thing that's doing the detection work is actually capable of doing the remediative response. Um, <clears throat> there's very few technologies like that on planet Earth uh, on networks, right? So most NDRs aren't like that because they don't actually operate in line. Um, we also don't, don't operate in line. So we aren't capable of being, having the detector be the responder like in a, you know, in a box that's running in line like an NGFW or an IPS. That said, um, we're about as fast as you can do it, uh, doing it the other way. And the interesting part about it is that 
if you look at how uh, most detection technologies work, they generate their events, they put them into whatever event management platform that a, a user has, and then they, you know, the, the operators actually service the events. So, you know, they eventually see the event in their display and they, you know, start to figure out what they're going to do about it. Uh, the interesting thing about the approach is that once you do this kind of two-step, we generate the events and then they're put in front of an analyst, you know, typically a few hours later, um, the time frame of detection, the few seconds in which the event occurs uh, that indicates the initial attack, and then you know the the attack after it's landed starts doing its post compromise activities, you know, establishing persistence and things like that. Um, that's not a you know that time frame doesn't really matter from a response standpoint. It's going to show up in the same analyst screen at the same time, essentially. So if that is the way that things work, and it is. Um, then that begs the question, do I really need to manage 50,000 um, signatures uh, to detect a variety of things and all these anomaly detection models, or should I just detect the fa uh, fact that a device has been compromised? Um, because you're gonna have the same response either way. So that's the that's kind of the, the, uh, the interesting piece of the puzzle um, that we think we're, we're changing with our approach. Once again, because we're not an inline system, we're not running deep packet inspection, we're doing compromise detection instead of threat detection, it's uh, it's a different approach to doing it, but it delivers the same capabilities ultimately uh, in terms of detecting the fact that there's security issues and you need to do something about it. Yeah, and in fact, I would guess that given the kind of breaches that we see on a daily basis now, they've all occurred months earlier and we, we don't learn, you know, we learn about them through agencies or third parties, generally speaking, not through our own uh, detection capabilities. So I'm not sure how important it is that we do any of this in near real in even near real time, but that's just that that that's just a reflection of how um, overly complicated we've made the the problem space, I think. You know, complexity begets complexity. I think, you know, we have um, these very complex architectures that have to be deployed and curated. And curation is actually kind of one of the, the biggest issues that I find. You know, like from my standpoint, having done the old way of doing it as well as the new way of doing it, this kind of curation cycle of I have to keep the detection software up to date. I have to keep the detection logic up to date with new signatures. And, you know, I need to be on point on Microsoft Tuesday to roll out the new capabilities and things like that. I mean, this is a game that is very complex for most enterprises to do. And, you know, a lot of them aren't particularly great at it. <laughs> so as a result, you know, the, the level of capability that they're actually um, able to field is, is fairly limited. Uh, and, and that being the case, you know, uh, complexity is the enemy of security. We've, you know, all been saying that as an industry for decades, um, you know, simpler approaches, I think are, are more approachable uh, for the users, which means they'll be used more capably, uh, ultimately, I, I think. Yeah, and as as do I. Unfortunately, we seem to be headed in the opposite direction, though. Every whatever the unit of time that passes is, you the gap continues to expand. Uh, from my point of view, anyway. Well, somebody's got to you know, jump in there and, and try new approaches. So that's that's what we're up to over here. Yeah, no, that's great. You uh, you you characterize uh, today's networks as uh, atomized. Is is that is that just a way of saying that today's networks are no longer defined uh, by the edge? And is your architecture defined designed around 
geographically dispersed computing uh, environments and, and what advantage does that give your customers if in fact that's the case? Yeah, you know, atomized network, I, I think that um, that covers a lot of it. Um, you know, the, the genesis of the idea for it was, uh, so, you know, when I left Cisco in 2019, I took a couple of years off when I came back, it was post pandemic. And um, the thing that I really observed uh, pretty quickly when I got back into the saddle was that networking had changed, not because, you know, people were moving to the cloud or, you know, um, some different technologies available and things like that. But what really happened was a social phenomenon, which is the pandemic itself, which kind of caused all of the users, you know, in March of 2020, we were all sent home and we were told, hey, just get your job done. And, you know, we'll be back in two weeks. And then, you know, two weeks turned into six weeks and six weeks turned into six months and people just went home and merrily went about their jobs. And in a lot of enterprises that turned into standing up whatever infrastructure uh, you needed, wherever you wanted it, and just you know, like, you know, getting things done. So the issue with that, of course, <clears throat> becomes that, you know, three years later, here we are. And uh, it, it's actually pretty problematic because now you have all these large enterprises who really have a hard time getting their hands around what they've got and what it's doing. So, you know, you have this kind of fundamental problem of, of figuring out and getting your hands around, what are all the assets that I have? What are they all doing? How are they changing and uh, what's happening to them? Um, and if you don't have good tools to do that, then that's obviously a problem. But this idea of atomization, I kept hearing the same thing over and over again. We're multi-cloud, hybrid cloud, on-prem, uh, infrastructure and mobile and remote workforce. And I started to say, hey, it's like your networks have atomized, isn't it? And people on the Zoom calls, you know, people started nodding their heads up and down. And I was like, oh, okay, this the, there is something new here. And this is where we came into kind of defining the attributes of them is that these modern enterprise networks, as a result of atomization, they're dispersed um, with, you know, uh, kind of points of presence all over the place, um, both in the cloud and on-prem. Uh, in the cloud, especially, they're ephemeral with workloads spinning up and down. The traffic is heavily encrypted due to a combination of zero trust and the pervasiveness of SaaS apps these days using TLS encryption. And then, um, you know, they're uh, they're diverse. Uh, most modern enterprises have these IT, OT, and multi-cloud uh, plants that they've got um, themselves deployed across. And like, you need to have a way to get your hands around all of this. And once again, if you come at it with a very complex approach, you're you're probably going to have a bad time. It's going to be really hard to do, and you're going to have um, poor results. So, you know, part of this architecture that we've built here is an, a, an attempt to simplify all of it and give you kind of one platform to um, to scale across all of it. Yeah, and uh, so a single SaaS platform that does simplify the process, and um, you know, yeah. Uh, detects threats based on behavior sounds like uh, a great solution. Is there a class of threat that you can't detect? Is there a reason why an average customer would would need some additional layer of defense in addition to netography? Oh, well, I mean, you know, we're not an EDR, obviously, so we're not going to pick up malware operating on hosts and things like that. And there are, you know, if there are very specific types of attacks that you can only see at the application layer um, that you need to detect, uh, that's not us. Um, that That's the stuff I used to develop. But, you know, our, kind of our, our uh, position is that you're going to have a harder and harder time detecting them because the chances of the traffic being both accessible to you and non-encrypted so that you can run it through a, a deep packet inspection sensor is, is becoming, you know, is rapidly reducing essentially. So, 
Um, there are definitely classes of attacks that exist out there that uh, are outside the scope of what we do, uh, but that's true of every technology. Um, uh, you know, we still haven't come up with a hundred percent solution to any of this stuff. We did, I probably wouldn't be working right now. Um, but uh, you know, from our standpoint, this is the um, this is the right way to to go at the problem for the uh, the network architectures that we're in today uh, for the vast majority of threats that are out there. Yeah, no, I suspect you'd be working anyway. Uh, as, <laughs> <laughs> what little I know uh, of you so far, um, I you know it's hard not to uh, it's hard to avoid zero trust these days. So I assume you your marketing messaging at least suggests that you operate in concert with zero trust design. Have you done any actual collaboration with? Uh, folks like John Kinderbog on policy management issues, or are your insights independent of access permission decisions, for instance? Um, so uh, I haven't uh, talked to to John, but, um, you know, um, obviously he's a pretty big name in the industry these days. So, so that's, <laughs> that's a, a good suggestion. I probably should uh, have a sit down with him uh, at some point, but, uh, our, our determinations are pretty independent of the um, the zero trust uh, policy uh, deployment. In a lot of ways, you could use our technology to make sure your zero trust um, micro segmentation architectures and uh, um, policy uh, and behavioral enforcement things are actually working properly. So, you know, the the phrase configuration drift uh, exists for a reason. <laughs> There's kind of uh, what we've tended to find with natography because we can see so broadly is that uh, there tends to be a difference between how people think things are configured and how they're actually configured um, and being able to tell the actuality of it is, is pretty useful. So I think there, there could be some interesting collaboration in terms of, you know, you uh, send your policy over to us and we'll tell you if your environment's actually compliant with it, but we don't have that kind of uh, automation built into the product at this point, but things like that, where you can say, this is my policy. Now let's see if it's actually working that way. Uh, you know, by looking at the ground truth of the activities of the participants of the network uh, and the context of the environment itself that you can load into our platform and then seeing how uh, uh, things are actually, you know, actually operating. Um, that's one of our big value propositions. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, yeah, I guess one of the, as I'm thinking through this, one of the questions I, I would have is what, you know, you, there, you must have a way of sort of, parsing through the noise um, as there's a lot of it. How do you, how do you uh, determine what gets alerted to the SOC or the operational folks and what does that process look like? So, um, so we have our uh, detection policies uh, that we run and detection policies can be written in terms of, you know, kind of the, the raw activities, what we see in the flow data, which is obviously real-time data source, or it can be written around the, the, the context of the environment. So we'd say, hey, if you see any data transfers on the network that are larger than, um, you know, 10 gigabytes, let us know. And, you know, we can, uh, especially if they're headed off premise, like if they're actually headed outbound to someplace on the internet, you can define that, you can define what your environment looks like, all the components of it, you know, these are my cloud components, these are, you know, this is the Wichita data center, this is the uh, our retail presence in these five states and things like that. So you can define the borders and interactions between all of them and describe how they should be operating and shouldn't be operating. You can also look at the behaviors of the devices and see if they're 
going kind of off the rails. So that's all really useful. But uh, you can also do things like say, you know, these are my C-level executive um, people in my organization. And, and, you know, here's what they typically interop with, interoperate with and here's how they do things. So you can take all this raw data and you can say, I'll, you know, really bubble up things like, hey, Marty's laptop just transferred uh, 60 gigs of data to a vending machine. And that vending machine then connected outbound to an ITAR country and shipped 60 gigs of data. Um, obviously something's up. So um, we're capable of def- detecting all those kinds of uh, things. And what it's really about is uh, defining the, the the metadata in your environment, the inter- interrelations between them, and then observing their operations, seeing if they're uh, going out of bounds or looking at the uh, kind of the, the trust boundaries between them and the operational boundaries between them and being able to signal where um, there's uh, there's variance that's really not, uh, uh, not allowed. So that's kind of how we do it. Uh, we have an open language in the system. So this isn't a black box. You can see how we're doing it. So this goes back to, you know, 20 plus years ago of uh, kind of how I like to do things and uh, how the co-founders of the company like to do things. So we don't operate in the dark. You can see exactly what we're looking for and how we're looking for it. And you can write your own policy around it as well. Now, as far as signaling to the SOC, um, we support, uh, well, we're, we're an API driven system. So all the components of our platform are uh, the uh, interoperability between them is all defined by APIs and those APIs are open and documented. So we have a number of integrations with all sorts of technologies. So for example, we integrate with uh, things like CrowdStrike to collect context that CrowdStrike has about endpoints that are um, operating as agents, but we also can uh, interoperate with CrowdStrike by being able to send command and control to it and saying stuff like, hey, this device just got, is doing uh, things that look like it's communicating to a known command and control uh, channel, uh, please quarantine it and have it take action. We can also send signaling out to uh, SIMs and SOARs. We can, uh, um, you know, basically generate any type of signal that a a company wants to see uh, in any format that they want it uh, with whatever technologies that they want to interoperate with. So things like QRadar and Splunk, uh, things like Sentinel-1 and so on and so forth, we're capable of generating uh, eventing that'll land in all of those platforms and be available for users to uh, to consume in their operations centers. So uh, the really interesting thing about it uh, is that uh, because we have an entirely API-driven uh, platform, it's, it's relatively simple to do things like integrate with whatever your operations technologies are in your back end, but it's also really simple to do things like uh, we, we had a customer that onboarded their whole enterprise via the APIs instead of clicking through the GUI that was able to, honor, you know, uh, to onboard a pretty large uh, enterprise in uh, in an afternoon uh, by scripting it through the APIs instead of using the GUI. So yeah, there's a, a lot of power and extensibility in the way that the system is built to be able to uh, really blend in with uh, the technology footprint that an enterprise already has. Yeah. Okay. Um. You know, let me switch from IT to OT for for the last few minutes here. Um, you know, I. Today's OT environments are, I think, at serious risk, and they'll be tested much more thoroughly as we, as time goes on here. And I don't, you know, we have no way that I'm aware of anyway to monitor that level zero telemetry on the factory floor in real time or in any time. So we have no way of knowing whether uh, electromagnetic pulse is about to interrupt a 
PLC or other controller or other other valve-like device. Do you guys have a solution targeted to the OT community at all? Well, I think we have applications where we could be uh, um, used in OT environments. Um, you know, we don't target them explicitly. What we've observed uh, in many of our customers that are these large enterprises, um, for example, we have a very uh, large, in fact, one of the world's largest beverage companies is a customer of ours, and they have factory floors that are uh, straight OT environments. They have an IT environment. They also have multi-cloud environment. And we're monitoring all three. So they have to be generating data that we can consume. So flow is our, you know, our, our real-time uh, data pump um, that's uh, coming in the system. Um, and then uh, context about the environment and also the, the larger context provided via the policy language to describe kind of the, the normal and abnormal operations of those environments. So in that way, um, yeah, we're, we're capable of instrumenting those environments and showing you uh, what's going on. So, for example, in this uh, beverage company, um, they had a, you know, a, a factory floor um, control computer that was uh, talking to Facebook. And, uh, you know, obviously that's that's not <laughs> supposed to be happening. Um, so, you, you know, things like that pop right out. So you can see if you're compliant, you can see if you're um, you know, risk is being appropriately managed, whether you're um, governing your environment appropriately and things like that. Uh, detecting an electromagnetic pulse. I mean, if it's re reflected on the uh, the network in some way, shape or form, it would probably show up, but uh, it's got to be, you know, one of the data types that we take. But yeah, we, we do have the ability and have, in fact, deployed in OT environments, um, but um, it's uh, it's enterprise dependent on, um, you know, where and how they uh, they choose to deploy us for that sort of application. It's not really been a target market, though. I mean, you're not designing. No, 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 no. Yeah. We're not like a. Uh, there's there's companies out there that are specifically um, targeting that environment, like SinSaber or uh, Phosphorus. We're both uh, portfolio um, companies, and uh, one of our investors um, that are targeting OT environments mm -hmm. uh, very explicitly. Mm -hmm. Can you talk at all about uh, you know revenue customers? Uh, uh, you know, success so far? Sure. Um, so we have, uh, you know, as I usually like to say, a couple of handfuls of customers now. We are a Series A startup still, but our customer list is uh, really interesting to me uh, with uh, the background that I have. We had uh, a lot of customer uptake in the early days of uh, Sourcefire, for example, that were um, really large customers, but Customers we've managed to sell to at Notography, uh, many of them may have been Sourcefire, or you know, almost all of them certainly are Cisco customers. But uh, the ones that uh, are willing to uh, um, welcome us basically and take a look at what we're um, working on is uh, has changed pretty radically in the last twenty years. Twenty years ago, it was hard to get in the door in, in any of these places that are already customer of ours. So that's pretty interesting. Um, from a revenue standpoint, you know, uh, we're in the millions. Um, but we're not uh, really uh, quoting uh, hard numbers uh, at this point because we are a Series A company. But the company's growing um, pretty well. Uh, you know, I think we're uh, we've got a strong story. Uh, we're really interesting, especially in our, our target market for these large enterprises that have these atomized networks. Um, the team here is very experienced. Uh, you know, I, I personally have. Like I said, almost almost 30 years. It's 27 years of experience in the cybersecurity industry. Everybody at this company, almost uh, to a, to a person, has been in the industry for you know decade plus, if not uh, 20 plus years. So it's an extremely experienced team of um, 
of uh, operators and builders here. Uh, and that's led to, well, it's really interesting because, you, you know, you kind of um, walk in the door to a customer and, and generally speaking, uh, they, you know, know that we've done real stuff before. So we can kind of cut to the chase of whether this is, you know, this isn't a fly-by-night operation. We're not, uh, um, you know, building stuff that isn't going to uh, actually do what it says it does. Uh, th this is a team that can deliver. So that's been uh, a really nice way to operate uh, so far. It's, it's 20 years ago, like nobody took us seriously. Now everybody takes it seriously. And as a Series A startup, it's, it's a great uh, place to be. Yeah, no kidding. And I were you oversubscribed in that A round? Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Uh can you imagine another sort of friendly conversation with Cisco at some point uh in the future? Oh well, you know, I mean, you know, we're doing network security, they're a networking company, certainly uh within the realm of possibility. I uh I don't discount uh, anyone. There's really interesting um companies that are out there right now, you know, the Cisco's of the world and things like that, but there's some other companies that are out there that uh, I think our technology is also very complementary to. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how things develop, but, you know, we've got to get this company uh, really uh, turned into a, a money machine, I think, um, to uh, get on people's radars more than for just the the team that's here, um, but as an actual, you know, really powerful business. And that's what we're, uh, what we're grinding away on every day here. Yeah, no, I'm sure you are. And I I ask about Cisco uh, kind of for a pointed reason. I, I'm uh, we we do work with uh, with those folks and there's there are elements in the um, company that think that their perception in the marketplace is that they're not a cybersecurity company, that they're a networking company is that your perception as well i'm just curious you know you don't have to this is not a you know martin goes on record but i'm just curious as to what your your point of view is about that well they're you know they're an extremely successful networking company that also uh has a um a large cybersecurity business i mean you know you can't argue with the, the kind of numbers that they put up in terms of how much cybersecurity selling that they're actually doing. Um, I would say that they're, you know, the the pace of innovation there is lower than it would be, you know, certainly at a place like this. But well, sure. Uh, the, then at the dedicated cybersecurity companies, I would say in a lot of cases, and it's just you know their ability to focus on it and the market pressures and the internal uh, allocation of funds and things like that. I think are the things that always kind of weigh on their ability to really. Um, drive new approaches to security. But, you know, I, I've never really criticized Cisco. You know, it's not their their business to drive to new frontiers of security. Their business is, is providing, you know, great networking capability with integrated security um, capabilities as well. And I think they deliver pretty well on it. And, you know, we made, I think Sourcefire helped change the game there to some degree, but also some of the other great acquisitions we did, like uh, Duo and Landcope and, um, uh, the threat grid guys and things like that, I think, really uh, helped out uh, a lot too. So the the whole the whole thing was a um, you know really brought a lot of uh, innovation to the to the table and really helped um, up their game. And you know they're they're always uh, looking at uh, at new people and new technologies to bring in there. I know they just did like Baltics recently and things like that. So you know the this the beat of acquisitions that they do keeps going. 
Yeah, and that really wasn't a, a diplomacy uh, skills test, uh, Martin. But, <laughs> but you you passed with flying colors. That was a great answer. So thank you. So I'm aware that we're uh, we're we're at our at or above our our thirty minute uh, ceiling here, and I want to thank you for taking the time today to describe your company and your approach to. Uh, threat detection and I it sounds terrific and I'm I'm glad you guys are around and uh, and I, again I appreciate you uh, you taking time out of your day to, to meet with us here and I, I know our audience enjoyed this as well thanks Steve it was uh, great talking to you and I appreciate the uh, the opportunity great well you know and and I'll be back to you in a few months and we'll we'll do it again I'm anxious to see how how the next stage of um, of you of your of netography uh, you know develops and uh, we'll be rooting for you. Absolutely, yeah, I'd love to do it again. That'd be great. Uh, this is really uh, this is a fun conversation. All right, terrific. And uh, again, we we were talking with Martin Resch today, the CEO of Netography, and uh, we're. Uh, enjoyed the time we spent and, and hopefully you all did as well um, in our audience. And uh, uh, so until next time, this is Steve King, your host, signing off. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cybersecurity Insights. You can connect with us on LinkedIn or Facebook or send us an email at social at cybered.io. For more information about the podcast, visit cybered.io forward slash podcast. Until next week, stay safe and secure, and we'll see you on the next episode of Cybersecurity Insights.